Where were we going to go? Ukraine. We were going to go to Ukraine. Okay. Of course, that's Sorry. where we are going to go. Uh, but uh, I forget why it didn't work out. I don't know. But we're going to do it sometime. Yes. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm going to talk tonight from uh, 1 Kings chapter um, 17. I actually left my, I was weighing my bag. I didn't want to bring two bags. And I left my big Thompson Jade Bible. At the last minute, I took it out of my bag. And I'm like, I'm not going to take the risk. <laughs> and I left it at home. So I'm going to be using my iPhone and my iPad this weekend for the, for the Bible. Which is fine. Which is fine. We're looking at chairs for our church. You know, like comfortable chairs. Because our church has been sitting on metal chairs for ten and a half years. I mean, like 1961 metal chairs, you know. In the cafeteria at the uh, middle school that we use. And uh, we set up for... Takes us. How many people have ever set up Sam? You know what it's like in Silver Spring. We get a little crazy with all the curtains and everything. Takes about an hour and a half, hour and fifteen minutes, and then equally to put it all away. So we're praying this weekend. Um, a man is meeting with a board of a of a denominational church in Silver Spring that closed up. I mean, the church it's building itself is still there, but the uh, local congregation of that denomination of denomination of about a thousand churches but they um they actually disbanded about three years ago and i found out about it when i was volunteering at a food bank from uh, one of the board of directors our church was helping them set up their annual fundraiser and it was like something clicked at that time and i just she gave me the guy's name and i i emailed him and we met soon thereafter it was back in october and uh, they are not fast movers. <laughs> not in my... I'm a fast... I want to do things right away, but it's not always the Lord's. But anyway, we've been learning patience. But it's possible that we'll have an actual kind of traditional, which scares me a little bit, the traditional church look. But it's not super traditional. It's a brethren, church of the brethren, which are relatively simple. And um, But uh, we're looking forward to finding out on Monday whether... Um, our proposal will be received, and uh, if so, we might actually have a permanent building. And, uh, Amen. Awesome. and that's so interesting about the neighborhood, because it's an interesting church. It's located within a, a, a very nice neighborhood in Silver Spring, North Kensington. And um, that was our plan, was to start to evangelize that side. It's a different side of town than we're on now. So it's pretty interesting. We're only about five miles from the White House, so there's a lot of, uh, it's all the movers and shakers in the political realm and the volunteer realm and the embassy workers we've had in our church and all kinds of military people because the Bethesda is where the Naval Hospital is, and they also moved Walter Reed Medical Center there for the Army. So that's only two or three miles from where we are. So we get a lot of military people in our church as well. And that's a challenge because they don't stay, they stay from anywhere from two to four years. But I really applaud the ones who stay because they're always constantly moving around. And it's a big deal to invest in a community when you know you're only going to be there for a certain amount of time and take the risk of making all these friendships, you know. And then, but it's a good risk. I mean, I, it's very good, you know, because they have friends forever. First Kings chapter 17 and verse 8. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here together this evening to speak your word and to fellowship together, to ask each other questions and to seek ways 
in which we can reach our communities, ways in, w- in which we can grow personally as leaders in our churches, respectively, and everywhere from Las Vegas to Washington to Houston to Ecuador to Madras, India to Austin, Texas, and Las Vegas, Lord, and Chicagoland. And we pray, Lord God, that you would bless this evening, that your word, that my words would be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to speak about Elijah and the widow. I thought this would be appropriate for tonight because of uh, the idea of, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about, but it's a, kind of this impossible situation that you may be familiar with. <clears throat> In 1 Kings 17, verse 8, Then the Lord, I'm sorry, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I commanded a widow there to provide for you. So in this passage, Elijah is at the brook. Um, The brook dried up. So God had given him the provision of the brook, uh, but now the brook is dried up during the drought. It's a tough time in Israel because there's a three and a half year drought. He says, go there. And um, so he goes. He says, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And uh, so he arose and he went to Zarephath. And he came, when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, please, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, bring me also a morsel of bread in your hand. <clears throat> so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little jar of oil, a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And so it makes me think, you know, I'm going to grab my coffee just to drink a little bit. And um, it just makes me think of some of the impossible situations that it seems like God puts church planters and, and leaders in, and not just church planters, but church leaders and, and families and such. As believers, we're often put in situations that seem impossible because the Lord said to Elijah clearly, and we know Elijah is a prophet, to go to this place. And uh, he would provide for him. And he goes there and there's this widow that is the one he's supposed to talk to. And she, she'll gladly get him a glass of water, but she is ready to make her last meal her, for her and her son. And so Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. And um, for thus says the Lord, thanks. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and she did according to the word of Elijah. And she she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord spoke by Elijah. Isn't that interesting? Elijah, though he was in a, it seems like it seems to me to be a difficult situation. It doesn't seem to be for Elijah. He is obviously a man of faith, and he speaks faith. 
he commands the woman and actually the woman listens to his faith and I believe that she knew number one who he was and then number two had a sense that this man may be a provision for her um, but it's true right we do find ourselves and we feel like sometimes that we're in impossible situations you know situations where we actually don't know what to do and unfortunately and not to our content faith is the only thing that we have to work with and it's kind of interesting and even elijah when you think about it had also to step out in faith faith you know in that sense and um this account between him and the widow it just shows this kind of impossible situation and it shows us a lot of how I think we should respond to those because we do run into those things don't we there's a lot of things that happen uh, have happened and will happen you know Elijah was out of water why was he out of water God told him to go to the brook and so he goes to the brook but then the brook dries up so then uh, why did it dry up? Well, because God told Elijah to pronounce a three and a half year drought. That's why it dried up, dried up, you know. So he was doing everything and he was being directed by God in everything. He was actually being obedient. Um, so he says, I've, I have a widow there. You know, I've prepared something for you. Um, the only problem is that when he got there, uh, she only had a few drops of oil and a handful of flour to make any food for him. You know, hey, I've got a provision for you. It's huge. <laughs> you know, and I think this is interesting because it does speak about faith for us. And we, you know, we often want to, you know, they have that saying, "Fake it till you make it." You know, and as church planners, we want to want to build the. I remember the first thing I wanted to do is build a website. You know, I, we started our church and. I had prior already planned a trip to Korea. So right before I went to Korea, I, this was 10 and a half years ago, I had to go to see Pastor Steve and speak in Korea for a week. And uh, the church was brand new. It was like four weeks in and I'm gone. And so I go over. But before I left, I put together a website. And it was like awesome. So I'm over in Korea and I got time. I can't sleep. You know, you're 14 hours difference. And so what I did was uh, I'm taking all these pictures of crosses because they're everywhere. And I think this is the greatest website ever. You know what I mean? Fake it till you make it. Like, we have this huge church in Silver Spring, Maryland, you know. I think our first service, we did have 17 people at our first service from, you know, our outreaches and such. But then we went down to seven. That was our lowest ever. I remember inviting my friend Terry Labar to come, Pastor Terry, who I worked with in France many years ago. I said, oh, you've got to come see the church. It's amazing, right? I think we've been there for six weeks. <clears throat> and uh, so we go, and it's like we were starting service at 10 a.m. at that point. And it's like we're in a different school than we are now then, elementary school. And it's, it's quarter after 10, and there's nobody there <laughs> except us and a guitar player. And uh, I'm like, hmm. And you know what I said? I said, you know what? We're just going to start by faith, you know? And then seven people came in, you know, as we started singing. And, uh, but, you know, you wonder, was God, was Elijah caught off guard, you know, when this woman um, was supposed to be provi his provision, but she was starving to death, you know? Hey, your provision is starving to death. There's nothing there, you know? God says go, and you go, and you're like, what? What? These people are all haughty and high-minded you know there you know you go into some you know a lot of times you go and you'll talk just so you know
Wow. Anyways, did everybody get that? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Shut off the air rulers. Black Cherokee. Anyways, uh, oh, that's awful. We should pray for that right now. Father, we do pray for that situation right now. I was thinking it was a silver alert. I don't worry about those as much. Lord, we pray for that situation in that town in Texas that um, this young person would be found, Lord God, and rescued. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So he was off guard. Uh, He found this woman and she was starving to death. And um, there it is. But he doesn't seem to be, does he? He doesn't seem to be caught off guard. I mean, I don't say that he's caught off guard. I would have been caught off guard, you know. But it doesn't seem that Elijah was caught off guard at all. But if I was Elijah, I'd be thinking, man, I've been walking this road. And everywhere I go, God tells me to do this crazy stuff, uh, you know, and it causes me, you know, more pain or more suffering. And it even causes this poor woman pain and suffering. Uh, But I just remember years ago when I went to... um, in 1982, I graduated from Bible college, and I was part of a team that we had been planning for almost a year to move to France. And we had it all set up. It was awesome. You know, Pastor DeMeo was there, and Janie had just gotten married. My future wife, Casey, which made me very happy, also joined the team because uh, I wanted her to be my girlfriend and stuff. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this is a good sign. She joined the team. And so, you know, we had a pretty decent team of people, big summer harvest team, and then about eight people that were going to stay after the summer evangelism. And uh, the idea was we were going to go to England and go to Holland where we were buying vehicles. And then we were going to go down south to southern France and work in the Nîmes area for a couple weeks evangelizing with some local Pentecostal churches that uh, were contacts of Pastor Jeff Loren from Canada. That was awesome. Whole setup. But we were going to live in a town called Auxerre. And Pastor Louis, who is the you know, if you don't know him, he's the king of contacts, right? He knows everybody, you know. He's got up, up, and everything. And there was this person who he knew that uh, was American, but his mom was French. And his mother lived in this little town. Or what? he had a house, I should say, in this little town. We didn't know anything about his mother at that time. And so uh, the way it worked was I went to England. Uh, then I went to Holland with this team. Pastor Louis was meeting us. Now, he was going to go to Auxerre and then meet us down in the south of France. So he was going to arrange our, our later, more permanent dwelling. Um, we were going to use this house for free for a year. It was awesome. That's where our church was going to be, about 30 or 40 miles south of Paris, near to um, the big palace there. But anyways, uh, we get there to see Pastor DeMeo. He's like, I got some bad news. <laughs> So he goes to the house to check out our new dwelling. The house was two rooms. So we have a married couple, three single guys and three single women, you know. (laughs) Worse than that, his mother was still living there. (laughs) So God, we knew that God had called us to France, you know. It's funny. And God had called us, we thought, to that location. It was all right there. But actually, when we got there, things had changed. And it's so interesting. I never, we never really thought about it. We just said, oh, oh, okay. You know, okay. I wasn't really the leader. I was kind of number two. I was only 22. Um, Pastor Louis was all, uh, you know, the big old age of 28, I think, at the time. So he was a very mature guy. And um, somehow, though, you know, through faith, we just kept doing what we were doing. And then we were offered a place to live. Uh, for free for three months and then very cheap after that. 
and then we built a you know a church then we moved out of the village into the city eventually started a bible college within several months um started a church uh then the church grew and it you know they bought a huge property they expanded into three or four other towns and now there's you know Nîmes, Montpellier, Lyon, Geneva, Switzerland, Paris, and untold numbers of churches in West Africa, in Togo, Burkina Faso, and other French-speaking countries. All because of that vision, you know? All because we went there, and what was going to be a provision turned out not to be, or seemingly not to be a provision. Nonetheless, we continued on with God. There was some type of faith that we had that just didn't deter us like Elijah was not deterred, you know? It's very interesting when you think about it. A one-bedroom house. What, what do you think, Elijah? <laughs> Want some bread? <laughs> you know? The lady's dying. He had a definite command to go. Uh, there was a promised provision, though it was hidden. Um... And the people that he was sent to, in fact, were, they were out of hope. They were preferring death rather than their present situation. And that made me think of what you were talking about, people who are out of hope, you know, people that have no hope. And they are everywhere. They're in our neighborhoods, you know, people that are out of hope, and we are sent to those people. And so I think for us, it's hard to imagine only because, not unless we've traveled, unless we've been to Haiti and different places, which I have and you have probably as well, and we see stuff on TV, but, but real famine, you know, experiencing re- real famine, I never have, you know. I think the issue for us in America, too, is not just, it's obviously not, uh, Sam, how many restaurants did you say? How did we pass, you know, from here? How many grocery stores? How many everything did we pass? Our issue is not so much you know, physical famine, but maybe spiritual starvation, you know. There is maybe more of that, a lack of dependence upon God. Um, You know what I'm talking about, you know. It's kind of like, some of it's reflected in the TV preacher mentality as well. It's not that I don't like TV preachers, but once in a while I've warned people, you know, in the past not to get so caught up with that. Not, I mean, they sound good, and I mean they are good, you know, they are good. And they look good and, you know, their messages are good a lot of times. And kind of like, sometimes they're kind of like candy and different things. But in terms of what we're to do when it comes to that, because we find that. I find that with church members as well, where they might get caught up. And and I would say if you're listening to TV preachers, which I do and I listen on the radio sometimes, if they are increasing your faith, you know, if they're causing you to be more involved with your local church, if they're causing you to be built up in faith and to build up your pastor and maybe to give more money to your church and to become a mission, then I would say that's awesome, you know? That's awesome. But if it's more like... But what I've seen in the past is that people get involved in this stuff and they get isolated in their homes and it takes them actually away from the church. It takes them away from a local expression, you know, and I mean, fine, you know, but I don't like it. I don't like it at all because I feel like, um, you know, sometimes these guys are just out there for a photo opportunity. You know, they'll go to the ghetto, they'll take take their Learjets to Africa or whatever, you know. And I mean, I don't want to be too smug about that either. You know, I know a lot of people do very good work, but I have seen where... 
the message sometimes lacks commitment and sacrifice, you know. And the message of the gospel, the message of the cross does require that. It requires crazy faith for, especially for people that are involved in leadership and especially in churches that are just starting, you know, because we're trying to find our foundation. We're trying to find our way. We're trying to find what direction is God going to make this church, you know. Um, With us, you know, as pastors today, we have experience, you know, we have planted churches, we've started outreaches, but everyone is different, you know, and we've met people like the widow. We've met some seriously troubled folks. We've met people that have tried to commit suicide, um, people that are ready to call it quits, people that have given up and they're real people, you know, and you'll meet them. We will meet them. Um, we all know people who've suffered, and oftentimes it's from their own choices. I'm looking at, I'm looking at Wesley when I say that, but I, I don't mean that. <laughs> and we certainly can't minimize sin, right? I mean, sin is sin. I don't like when I hear, um, and I never want to be the kind of preacher that just gives life lessons, you know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't speak about you know, the definite truth of the Word of God. I don't mean, I don't want to be a jerk about it. I don't want to jam it down somebody's throat that this is the word of God and every word of God is pure and you better believe it. You know, obviously, right? We don't do that. By the same token, we have to be real with the gospel because when we minimize sin, we minimize the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross who suffered for us and for our sins. That is who he is. And I don't like that. I don't like when people minimize it. I don't like when people just talk about the crowd you know, or whatever the case may be. A lot of what we're going to talk about tomorrow, too, like is personal. You know, like do we have a personal person that we're investing in? And I know I like the the idea of the neighborhood thing because um, what that does, when we invest in people personally, it doesn't devalue the work of Christ because we, too, now are giving of ourselves in that sense, you know. But without Christ's sacrifice, we're lost, you know. Oftentimes, though, Um, And one of the things I would encourage you in and things that I've had to be encouraged in and I try to encourage myself in and I've been encouraged in is that we often feel kind of inadequate for the task, you know. It's like even if you have like Pastor Chris, he is a successful missionary, uh, Gosha also, all of and many of you church planters um, working hard, you know, but, you know, and so was Elijah, but he, he ran out of water. You know, so he had to go somewhere else, you know, to another place where there was food. And then he goes there and there is no food. There's only faith. And it, 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 it boils down to finding our place or finding ourselves in a place of faith. And the truth of the matter is we're asking God or we're, God is saying, go and ask for that piece of bread. And but the reality is that there is no bread, you know, and this is not blind faith. This is not stupid faith. This is real faith. This is real faith. I remember <clears throat> having a guy in my church and I, another thing Sam pointed out to me on the way here from his house was the multitude of churches you know, that we see all, all along the road, both sides of the road as a matter of fact. And I remember being really challenged by a guy who was kind of, he was having a rough time. He had gotten saved in our church but then some, he had some problems and he was angry at me and he and he left, and that's fine, whatever. But then he wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> you know? He kept writing me letters. He kept posting things on Facebook. I had to get rid of him on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. 
had to get him angry at me for that too. You know, it's like um, I don't have to have Facebook. That's not part of my calling. Um, but anyway, one of the things that he said is, "Why do you even have a church, anyways?" I mean, you go up and down Georgia Avenue all the way to D.C. There's churches on every other block, and he's not—he's a little bit exaggerating. But there's places where there are literally churches on every corner, you know, going down there. Then you get down into the city, and there's churches in every little strip mall, you know, as you go. Yeah, but that doesn't change anything. When were there ever too many churches? You know, when was there ever too much faith? There's all kinds of things that can try to discourage us, and that is actually one of them. But in ministry, we're called to faith. Um, In fact, you know what happened with Elijah? It was ultimately his ministry that fed him. You know, it was his ministry that fed him. He was called to minister to this woman, and she fed him. She gave him such as she had, and then God blessed him and her. And her son. And it's pretty amazing. Um, But you know, ultimately what will happen is, as you and I walk in faith, and as we tell people things that they don't want to hear. Do you think this woman wanted to hear Elijah say, "Uh, feed me first? I don't think so. Yet, the fact is that she did. She obeyed him. And when she did, she was then fed. And so we can say then that people will be fed by our ministry of faith. Mm -hmm. They take part in it a little bit, and then they are blessed by it. And it's amazing. So we should not fear, right? And he told her not to fear. The flour will not be used up, and the oil will not run dry. And it did not, according to the account in 1 Kings. And that's that's an amazing thing, because it's not always the case, right? Um, It's not always the case. It doesn't seem like faith always works. This was an obvious miracle. But that's what God's telling us. That's what the man of God is telling her and telling us. Do not fear. Don't be afraid of faith. Elijah was obedient. Uh, He met the widow. She was cooking her last meal. She's dying. Um, It's what people are doing all around us. And what do we say to them? Don't fear. Don't fear. We promote faith in people's lives. We teach faith. We teach people God's promises. And really it's the Lord making the promise through Elijah to the widow that she will have food and that she will have life. And ultimately when people trust us, they get the promise, you know. And God does bless them. And so it happened to us one day, didn't it? It really happened to us. You know, we believed at one point maybe without much uh, without much of anything except maybe somehow we had a need Pastor Chris maybe you just believed because your mom told you to believe you know when you were young uh, no it wasn't just that you brought your mom to Christ no okay fine we'll talk about it later but anyway you believed I'm mixing up your, you and other, somebody else but anyway this is the thing though <clears throat> the promises of God are real God made us a promise. We believed in Christ as our Savior. And, and our lives did change. Ultimately, our lives did change. Even if we became a believer like my kids did. You know, my kids all got saved when they were five or six. You know, Miss Casey led them all, all her little daughters to Christ. And, you know, it was amazing. And, and we prayed together with even, even Hannah, my toughest one. 
you know, the oldest one. But ultimately, they all came to Christ because they also believed. And now their lives are blessed, even my youngest to my oldest. And um, we trusted God and we received that promise that God gave us. And, um, and it's actually what the world's waiting for. You know, it's what the world is waiting for. Even though there might be churches on every corner, there's people in between all of those churches on every corner that aren't believing, that are hurting, that, that need someone to walk out for them and be that prophet that's going to speak faith to them, you know. Um, D.L. Moody, uh, when he was in England one time, he heard an evangelist. I wrote this down. Uh, his name was Henry, Henry Varley. And maybe you've heard this before. Um, Henry Varley said, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to him. And when Moody heard that, he was so captivated by the words that he said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. <laughs> you know, He was not a confident man, but he said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. I don't think there's anything wrong with believing that we can be that man, that we can be that woman. You know, that is totally yielded to God and that God can use us in that sense. Um, we give God a little bit. We give God the little bit that we have and he takes it and it turns into a source of life for dying people. And that's who we are. We are a source of life for dying people. We are a source of life for dying people. We have to remember that, that people around us are dying. You know, they're dying. They're dying. And they have no hope without Christ. Um, not that any of us have all the gifts, uh, and certainly we might not even feel that we're gifted at all, but when we have a handful of flour and a little bit of oil, God doesn't require much of us, does he? It didn't take Jesus much to heal the blind man. Some spit and some mud, and he rubbed it in his eyes, and he was healed. And so that's why we follow this path by faith, and we make sure that it's a narrow path. And it is a narrow path. The bin of flour not used up. The jar of oil did not run dry in 1 Kings 17, 16. So we don't have to worry about statistics, you know. And I don't believe them anyways, you know. I don't, don't believe the statistics that say that 1,500 pastors are leaving the ministry a month. That's not true. Pastors love their job. There's very few pastors that are actually leaving. These are statistics, I think, made to scare us you know, into not leaving or something like that. But actually, I think it depresses us to think that that could be. It is not. Pastors' marriages are the best marriages. Pastors' families are the best families. Don't worry about it. Invest in your children. Raise them up. Don't fear that doing ministry will hurt your family. I can promise you, in my case, it did not. If anything, it saved my family. All my kids are serving God, and that was not always the case, you know. Uh, and it's amazing to see what faith has done. I took my daughter. My youngest never went to Christian school, the only one. Well, Jessica never did either, but that's for a different reason. But um, Emma never went to Christian school. And she was worse than that. She was incredibly talented, you know, had an amazing voice, had, had studied singing and had sung in school, Was uh, sang in the state of Maryland, won the top award for... Um, you know, like in the, whatever they call these things for the public schools, sang publicly at Morgan State University, the only solo of the whole group. You know, she's riding high on her thing, had a big part in all her plays, all these musicals that they do at, at this school. And uh, I said to her, 
she had a lot of friends. Unfortunately, in all these, um, and we need to pray for these high schools, in all these, uh, what do you call them, the, um, in the arts, in the acting and singing, there's so much uh, lasciviousness, a lot of transgender, homosexuality, lesbianism. Right? It's all kind of transgender. Now everything's boiled down into be whatever you want, any which way you want to be, any which day you want to be. A lot of those people were her friends, and she's like, Dad, you know, they're nice people, and some of them are weird, but you know, and, 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 it's, and she did have a way to minister to them as well. By the same token, I could tell she was getting to a point where you know, you're around it long enough, and it starts to feel normal, you know? And so I said, how would you like to go to Poland with me? I was doing a conference with Pastor Maciek this summer, right, in Poland. She's like, yeah, I would love to go to Poland. So we go to Poland in August. She's supposed to go to college in the fall, regular college. And um, she comes with me. She gets involved with all the daughters of Robert and, mm. and then Sarah. And they were in the room together. They all led the music together for the entire week, sang solos, went out soul winning, did all this kind of stuff. She found this whole new world, you know, in Poland. Now she wants to learn Polish and go to all this stuff, right? Right? We drove by a sign that had your town and everything, Gosha. Uh, but, yeah, whether she goes to Poland or not, whether she becomes a missionary, I don't know. But one thing I know is we were on the plane on the way home, and she's, she, she wants to talk to me. Dad. Hey, Dad. Emma hasn't been the warmest of my children towards It's kind of funny how that works. She is now. And she warmed up, but she's kind of always kind of funny, funny kid. Uh, sweet. What would you say if instead of going to college, I think I can get my money back. She's like, can, I get, can we get the money back? What if I went to Bible college you know, for a year? And I'm like, I'm trying to play it cool, you know? <laughs> Just pray about it. Just talk to mom about it. You know? And so, but the deal was done. And I knew, I knew when I asked her to go that God was going to do something. I believed God would change her. Now she's like, she wants to go for four years. She wants to be a missionary. She wants to learn languages. It's amazing. And so I'm excited. I remember preaching a message and getting, taking a lot of heat for it in 2008 at the convention about the narrow road. And I got some heat. One lady never came, didn't come back to church because I said I wanted all my kids. I was so angry at the world at that time. I wanted all my kids to be missionaries. Didn't want any of them to go to college, regular college, you know. And, and I prayed that. I said, I want them all to serve God. And I said, my kids. And then I got all this feedback, pretty negative. It's funny, one lady was very negative. She literally, I found out from her husband, she never went back to church. The day she did go back to church was a rare Sunday morning, six months later. And you know I, I'm very jealous of my pulpit and Pastor Schaller. The only time I don't preach for him is if he asks me to preach on Sunday mornings. But this was a big Sunday morning because Dave, he was in Europe and Dave um, had died in Korea. Uh, Dave uh, Frankenhauser. And so he asked me to do the Sunday morning service. So I said, okay. And, you know, that was the day she came back. And I was preaching. <laughs> so it was funny. And she liked it. You know, it was different. It wasn't, you know, it was a different message. I just thought that was funny. But don't be discouraged, you know. It is a small gate. It is for sure a narrow way. But God is in that narrow way. And God is on the other side of that small gate. And we can be the people that lead others 
to faith through that small gate. We don't have to compromise, but we also don't have to be jerks, right? We're friends with people. We love people. That's what we do. And so, uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Bless our question and answer time, and bless Evergrace Church and all the ones who are represented here this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good word. Amen. Amen. So if you don't mind, we can just segue right into some questions and answers.